semester, what we're doing is we're doing a series on relationships together. And um, what I've said so far is the reason that we're doing this is because um, relationships are fundamental to who we are as humans. That we are made by a God who is in relationship with himself. That God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a community and he has made us in his image. So we are designed by a community for community. And so we're taking a semester to, to look at that together um, from the Bible. And tonight we're going to be talking about singleness. Um, last week we talked about friendship, and then the two weeks after this week we're going to be talking about dating. And we're doing these things after friendship because everything we're going to be talking about for the rest of the semester requires friendship as a foundation. Friendship is foundational to um, all of the ways that we interact with one another. And just say, um, tonight, I'm, I'm thankful to a couple of RUF campus ministers who've helped me, Justin Clement, Brian Sorgenfein, Sammy Rhodes, and what they've taught me on singleness. Um, so why, why I talk about singleness? Why is this something we talk about? Well, unless you are married or you're engaged, you are single in God's eyes. So that's all of you except for, I guess tonight, Mary Clark and I and Brittany. Sorry, Brittany. Unless someone else, anybody else get engaged? Brittany's engaged. Anybody else engaged? Okay, so just the three of us. So that's the rest of us. Sorry to put you on the spot. You know? That's what happens when you get engaged. You get from the spot. Um, and just want to say as a disclaimer, if you, um, if you long to be married, like that is, that is a really good thing. And I want you to hear that from me. That is a good thing. Um, but tonight we're going to be talking about singleness. And so culturally, we have... We, we have two different conceptions of singleness that we're given. First, we're given um, traditional people. They tend to lift up and idolize family and children. And so they say things like you, we may not say it explicitly, but you hear you should be married and you should have a family. And um, they say this because, right, family and, uh, offers stability and security. Whereas contemporary people, they tend to lift up or idolize independence, saying you should be single. You should um, pursue your career and your dreams above family, um, above marriage. And why is this? It's because they've idolized personal fulfillment. And Christianity is unique because of the value that it places on singleness. Um, there's a uh, sociologist of religion named Rodney Stark, and he wrote a book called Rise of Christianity, and he explores what were the trends in the first couple centuries of the church um, as it grew beyond just a regional um, sect of Judaism into the global religion that it is. And he says this, he says that Christianity was the first religion that makes singleness socially acceptable. He said, should they be widowed, Christian women enjoyed substantial advantages. Pagan widows faced great social pressure to remarry. Caesar Augustus even had widows fined if they failed to marry within two years. In contrast, among Christians, widowhood was highly respected and remarriage was, if anything, mildly discouraged. The church stood ready to sustain poor widows, allowing them a choice as to whether or not to remarry. I share this with you because if you're skeptical about the Christian faith and you use history as your justification as to why Christianity is bad for society. I invite you to look again. For when the church has been faithful to the Bible, it has been a blessing to those who are usually on the bottom of society. The poor and the marginalized, the left out, the orphans and the widows. And when this doesn't happen in history, it's because the church was unfaithful to God's word. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at the Bible together and we're going to see what it has to say to us about singleness. Um, and specifically, we're going to see how the Bible talks about singleness as a gift 
and singleness as a calling. So if you want to flip over your bulletin with me to the back, I'm going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 7, verses 6 through 9, 17, 25 through 28, and 32 through 35. This is God's word for us tonight. He gives it to us in love. I say this as a concession, not a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Now concerning the betrothed or the engaged, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. If you are bound to a wife, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. I want to free you from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word and that it is good and true and that it stands forever. And we pray that you would help us to hear it um, and to make sense of our own lives in light of it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my goal tonight is to persuade you um, that God sees singleness as wonderful. First, I want to say that singleness is a good gift and not a bad present. Look at verse 7 with me. Paul says... um, that each has his own gift from God. Paul is saying that God gives different gifts to different people. To some, God gives the gift of singleness. To others, God gives the gift of marriage. Saying that marriage and singleness are both gifts from God. All right, that's easy to say, but are they really both good gifts? Um, Mary Clark said I could tell the story. So when she was a kid for Christmas one year, um, she, you know, as you did when you were a kid, made a huge list of all the things she wanted for Christmas. So did her brother. Christmas morning rolls around. Her brother gets everything on his list. Like he gets a new bike and all this great stuff. And Mary Clark has this one, you know, her big presents under the tree. And she unwraps it and it's a dustpan. Her mom got her a dustpan for Christmas. Um, sorry, Susu. Um, uh, the uh, mom got a dustpan for Christmas. And her mom tried to justify it like... Um, you know, I've, I've thought a lot about this dustpan. It's the one I want. It's the kind that when you put on the ground, you can sweep into it and pull it back up. Like, it's a really nice dustpan. Um, but it's still just a dustpan, right? Like, imagine Christmas morning when your brother gets a bike and you get a dustpan. Um, right? And I think when we hear singleness is a gift, we think it's our dustpan to our brother's new bike. Right? Um, it's a gift that somebody might want, but I don't want it. Right? It's a gift that some might have, but does, does anyone really want it? And my guess is that in, to many of us, we feel slighted by God when it comes to relationships. Um, when I was looking back, recently I was looking back at my journals from college and um, 
reading what I wrote, and up until the time I met Mary Clark while I was single, I, um, I, I just wrote this a ton, like, do I have the gift of singleness? I don't want it. I wrestled with this a lot. I felt slighted. Um, and I missed in this that singleness is a gift from God. So how in the world is singleness a gift? Singleness is a gift because it gives you the opportunity to serve the kingdom in an unhindered way. This is what he's saying in verses 32 through 35. All Christians, single or married, are called to invest their entire lives in Jesus' kingdom. In the previous chapter in 1 Corinthians in chapter 6, Paul writes, You are not your own, but you were bought with a price. And this means that your money, your academics, your extracurriculars, your time, your friendships, your sexuality, everything, everything in your lives is to be leveraged to bring the kingdom of Christ to earth in tangible ways. In all areas of life, our prayer is to be, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Or, thy will be done at Wake Forest as it is in heaven. Jesus is calling you to serve his kingdom with your time and your gifts and your resources. So your time... Um, you're more available when you're single. You have so much time to be with others, to invest your time in friendships with people younger than you, with your peers. This is one reason why I love RUF, um, is because you guys have infinite free time. Um, you don't think you do, but wait until, um, wait until you're, you're older and you'll see. You, you, have, you have time, and you fill it up. Well, the reason why you laugh at that is because you fill up your infinite free time with lots of things that you do. Um, But this is why you can invest in RUF and you can invest in your friendships. You can serve in youth ministry in your church or in Young Life. You can lead organizations on campus. You um, you can participate in so many number of things because you're single. Um, I had a good friend, uh, one of my best friends, who uh, is uh, in youth ministry. And he was single until his early 30s or mid-30s. And he was able to do so much ministry. Because he was single. So much capacity to give time to others. Um, His singleness was a gift to so many people. Because he just had time. He could hang out with people into the night. He could um, fill his time with people. I mean, think about my time. It would not be wise for me to hang out all night with y'all. Right? I can't. Like, I go home at 5. I have dinner with my family. I put my kids to bed. That's how I invest in the kingdom. Is I have um, a family. Whereas y'all are free. Um, You have this incredible freedom to invest your time. So um, God's calling you to serve his kingdom with your time. Also with your gifts. Um, When you are single, you are free to discover and develop your gifts. There's a man named John Stott who was uh, one of the most influential pastors of the 20th century. And he was single his entire life. And he affirmed that both marriage and singleness are gifts from God, that God sees both as good. And he writes this, um, Stott wrote, Looking back with the benefit of hindsight, I think I know why I was called to singleness. I could never have traveled or written as extensively as I've done if I'd had the responsibilities of a wife and family. So as you're single, you are free to discover and develop your gifts. So take this time. Figure out who you are and what, what your gifts are and invest in this. And then third, you are free um, to, uh, with your resources. You have time to serve, your, you have, um, get to use your resources for Jesus' kingdom. To put it simply, when you've got a steady income, you get to tell your money where it goes. Rather than asking it where it's been or where it went. 
Um, when you're single, you get to tell your money where it goes rather than asking where it went. Because when you've got, when you start have family, your money starts disappearing. Um, I don't know where our money goes. We have these two small money monsters named Leo and Mary Landon, about to have a third. Um, never referred to him as a money monster before. That's a new one. Okay. But singleness gives you an incredible opportunity to be generous. You get to be generous with your time and with your gifts um, and your resources. And seeing singleness as a gift requires a gift giver. By putting singleness in the category of gift, the Bible invites us to ask, what kind of God calls singleness a gift? And the answer the Bible gives us um, in Romans 8.32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If God is so good to give up his very son for you, There is not one good gift that he will withhold from you on his timetable. And this includes your desire to be married. If you ever wonder whether your father in heaven is really committed to you and if he is really out for your best as a single person, look no further than the cross of Jesus. Because that is where the father has displayed his commitment to you and your best. God cannot not be good to his children. God does not give dustpans to his children. He gives amazing gifts to single Christians and amazing gifts to married Christians. A woman named uh, Paige Benton Brown, who was an uh, intern with RUF in the 90s at Vanderbilt, and she wrote an article called Singled Out for God. Um, She was single until her mid-30s. And she says this in, in the article. She says, Can God be any less good to me on the average Tuesday morning than he was on that monumental Friday afternoon when he hung on a cross in my place? The answer is a resounding no. God will not be less good to me tomorrow either because God cannot be less good to me. His goodness is not the effect of his disposition, but the essence of his persons, of his person. Not an attitude, but an attribute. I long to be married. My younger sister got married two months ago. She now has an adoring husband, a beautiful home, a whirlpool bathtub, and all new corningware. Is God being any less good to me than he is to her? The answer is a resounding no. God will not be less good to me because God cannot be less good to me. It is a cosmic impossibility for God to shortchange any of his children. So a question for you tonight. Do you see your singleness as a gift to enjoy and to be used for the advance of Jesus' kingdom? Singleness is not only a gift, but it's also a calling. Um, It's a calling and not a curse. This is, look at verse 17. Paul writes, only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. To give you a little context for, what, for who Paul is writing to, he's writing to the church in Corinth um, in the second half of the first century. And this church was, was confused about their calling. Some wrongly believed that when they became Christians, their life was to be so radically different that they should quit their jobs, they should cut themselves off socially, they should even stop having sex with their spouses so that they could fully devote themselves to God's service. And Paul is saying no to this. He's saying God has called you to live out your faith in a particular place, with a particular people, at a particular time. He's calling you to serve God in the context where he's called you. This is in verse 20 and verse 24. I don't have either of those on here, so I'll read them to you. Uh, Verse 20, he says, Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. In verse 24, So, brothers and sisters, in whatever condition each was called, let them 
There, let them remain with God. So Paul applies the principle of serving where God has called you to the context of your marital status. Whether you are single or married, God has perfectly and lovingly called you to honor Christ in your calling as a single or a married person. This is really, really good news. That God places a calling on you if you are single. He has called you to be his ambassador of the gospel as a single person. Now, I need to point this out, that your, your sexuality is a part of this. Part of the calling of married people is to have children if they are able. Procreation is part of the calling of marriage. In fact, in the Bible, the only category for any sexual activity is marriage. So if you are single and you are a Christian, God calls you to celibacy. I know that sounds crazy, but that is what Jesus calls you to if you belong to him. That is part of how he calls you to honor Christ with your life. And now, my job as a pastor is to persuade you that this is true, Um, But the Bible is different in this. The Bible doesn't seek to persuade you. It actually commands us. It stands over us and and calls us to obey. And Jesus himself talks about people remaining single and celibate. He does this in Matthew 19, verses 11 to 12. And he's talking about eunuchs in this passage. Uh, People who remain single and celibate. And he lists three reasons why people do not marry. So the first is, uh, he says that there's some people who were born that way. This can include people who have a physical defect or people who have ongoing, unchanging, same-sex attraction. The second, he has those who were made that way. And this would include victims um, of the horrible ancient practice of forcible castration. But it would also include all those today who remain single under any compulsion or external circumstance. So one might think of a daughter who feels under obligation to forgo marriage in order to care for her elderly parents. And third, um, his category for those who are to be single are those who choose that way. Those who have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of God. Those who are under no pressure from within or without, but who voluntarily put marriage aside, either temporarily or permanently, in order to undertake some work for the kingdom which demands single-minded devotion. This is what John Stott was talking about in his calling to be single. So singleness is a calling, um, and singleness is a calling because it's first a gift. Um, Look at verse 7 with me. When he says it's a gift, this, this word gift is, in the Greek, it's this word charisma, which um, in the Bible means it's a gift of God's grace. I mean, singleness is a gift of God's grace. Paul is saying that the categories that we need to make sense of singleness run straight through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. Because the cross is the verdict of God's goodness to you. His verdict not to destroy you or to give you a life less than what you deserve or less than... Um, what you desire, but to bless you, which does sometimes include your suffering. Um, Psalm 138.8 says this, The Lord will, will fulfill his purposes for you. The Lord will fulfill his purposes for you. Um, I know this is hard to believe. I know I remember being in your place and thinking about my life and wondering if singleness was the rest of my life um, and, and uncertainty in that. Um, but I've heard it said that, that providence, that understanding um, how God works in the world is like Hebrew, which um, Hebrew is read backwards from right to left. And so providence like Hebrew is best understood backwards. Um, hindsight is twenty twenty. Um, but this promise is certain that the Lord will fulfill his purposes for you. And if singleness is a calling, then it means that your singleness can never be an excuse for selfishness. Everything in our culture is telling us to pursue personal happiness. Even the religious culture is telling you that marriage is essential 
to your personal happiness. Whereas the Bible is calling you to invest in Jesus' kingdom, not your own kingdom. Um, And to be completely honest with y'all, I missed this when I was single. I didn't do this right. My entire world revolved around me and my own personal happiness. Um, I did not invest in Jesus' kingdom the way that I could have. And for some of you, like it was for me, your singleness is your excuse for your selfishness. Right? It's more time for your resume, whether it's academic or professional. More time for pursuing your own comfort and personal happiness. More time for pursuing whatever experience you feel like will make you happy. But Jesus' calling on your life is better than that. He is calling you to be his ambassador as a single person. You have a great calling in your singleness. Right? We don't like hearing that because we see singleness not as a calling but as a curse. And we see this in the way that we try to explain away one another's singleness. Paige Benton Brown, again, um, in her article, she says that warped theology is at the the heart of attempts to explain singleness. She writes, have you ever heard this? Have you ever heard, as soon as you're satisfied with God alone, he'll bring someone special into your life. As though God's blessings are ever earned by our contentment. You're too picky. As though God is frustrated by our fickle whims and needs broader parameters in which to work. Or before you can marry someone wonderful, the Lord has to make you someone wonderful. As though God grants marriage as a second, blanking, second blessing for the sanctified. Accepting singleness, whether temporary or permanent, does not hinge on speculation about answers God has not given to our list of whys, but rather on the celebration of the life he has given you. She writes, I am not single because I am too spiritually unstable to possibly deserve a husband nor because I am too spiritually mature to possibly need one. I'm single because God is so abundantly good to me, because this is his best for me. It is a cosmic impossibility that anything could be better for me right now than being single. So if you're asking this question, how do I know if I'm called to be single? Well, look at verse 17. What does he say? Um, Are you single right now? And you're called to be single. Are you engaged or married? Then it looks like you're called to be married. Um, And your singleness may be temporary. So how do you live? How do you live like singleness is a gift and a calling and not a curse? Well, the only way that you can live in the reality of God's goodness and love to you is if your identity is not in your relationship status as single or married, but in your redemptive status. This means that we have to look to Jesus together. Jesus, who dwelt in perfect love and relationship with the Father and Spirit, who in his incarnation took on flesh and was born into this world, came into the world as a human, fully man, and was single his whole life. Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus was tempted as we are, yet was completely without sin. He felt what you feel. He was a true man. He was fully human. He was single, but he never missed out on anything. And single or married, we forget who we are. We forget whose we are, and we're tempted to define ourselves by our relational status, not our redemptive status. But if you have faith in Jesus, you are not a Christian single, but a single Christian. One is the descriptor, and the other is the identifier. One will change, one never will. If you have faith in Christ, you are a have and not a have not. If you have repented of your sin and trusted in Christ alone for salvation, then you belong to him, the one who lived and died for you. The one who promises to never leave you nor forsake you. You are a have and not a have not. If you have faith in Christ, then you are free from judging God's love to you by your circumstances. 
God has displayed his love to you in the fixed point of the cross, where Jesus substituted his life for yours. If that's who you are, if you are a Christian, it is impossible for God to be not good to you right now, because you already have God's best in Jesus. Then your relationships can be built on this foundation. And marriage just becomes two people who should have given up on each other, but haven't given up on each other because of God's love for them. And singleness becomes serving, being wholeheartedly devoted to God alone and to Jesus alone, saying, I don't need a spouse because Jesus is enough. What Paul's doing in 1 Corinthians 7 is he's trying to crush the church's idolatry of marriage, trying to get them to look beyond their relational status and to their redemptive status. And the mission that Jesus has for them in loving God and loving their neighbor. God is saying that you are freed up to focus on loving God and loving your neighbor because your redemptive status is secure in Christ. And the marriage that you ultimately long for, the one that you were created for, is promised to us at Christ's return. In Matthew 22, Jesus is talking to a group of religious people and he tells them there will be no marriage in heaven. Because marriage will be perfectly fulfilled in Christ and the church. And the promise of the Bible is that when Jesus returns, not only will all the sad things come untrue, but all the good things will be perfectly fulfilled. This is the good news of the Christian gospel. And in closing, I just want, um, I want to let Paige Benton Brown get the final word because she says this so much better than I do. She says this, The gospel is not about how much I love God. I typically love him very little. It is about how much God loves me. My relationships are not about how much friends should love me. They are about how much I get to love them. No single person should ever expect relational impoverishment by the virtue of being single. I long to be married. Is God being any less good to me because I am single? The answer is a resounding no. God will not be less good to me because God cannot be less good to me. It is a cosmic impossibility for God to shortchange any of his children. Amen. Let's pray.